Get it a geek, we're talking movies, TV, comics, sometimes they all mix together in a wonderful way and that's what we get when we go and watch Thor Ragnarok and that's what we're here to talk about tonight, a shortened movies crew, my name is Mitch, joining me, Matty Gibson. Hola. Hola. Now, no surprise, we're doing it again together, just the two of us, like we did the non-spoilers chat, because the other two didn't see the movie, so there's no way they can do this full spoilers (sighs) chat, but uh, if you haven't watched the film and you've stumbled on this one accidentally on our channels... Stop right now. We don't want to spoil anything. There's been too many spoilers going around in mainstream Australian media recently. If you are from overseas, then hopefully you've managed to avoid it, even though it did make international uh, publications <laughs> because it was such a monumental stuff up on one of our mainstream channels. But whatever, we uh, press on. Please don't listen. If you haven't seen the film, go and watch the movie. Now that it is out in Australia, elsewhere mm. in the world, hey, check your local big, guides. Big, big spoilers. Just join us back now. The non-spoilers chat is uh, free for those who have and haven't seen the film. That is your final warning. Maddie. let's get straight into spoilers. I want to start off with something almost from the beginning of the film. Mm. Let's talk some cameos. Hey. Matt, Damon. Matt Damon. What a fun surprise that was. That was that was great. Because uh, for anyone who missed it, Jimmy Kimmel the other week after the LA premiere, Chris Hemsworth's on there talking about the film. Jimmy says something about Mark Ruffalo, obviously the Hulk back in the green room. They cut to the green room. Matt Damon sticks his face in front of the camera. Mm. Online geek and movie sites go crazy. They go, this is confirmation yeah. that he is in the film. And all like, people who don't watch Jimmy Kimmel and yes. know the running joke between him and Matt Absolutely. Damon. Yeah. So that was fun. I mean, if uh, if you are around the world, I guess even if even if you are, he was on Westworld. Luke Hemsworth, the oldest Hemsworth mm. brother. That's right. If you don't know, there are three Hemsworth brothers. Chris is the second and uh, Liam is the third. The oldest Luke plays Thor in this film in the, the theatre scene. At first I thought, is that his body double guy? That, yeah. that, I'm like, no. That's not. And then, <laughs> Luke. That was fun. So I'm like, I'm going nuts about that because I recognise Luke Hemsworth. Then it's Matt Damon as Loki. Oh, this is hilarious. Sam Neill, Alan Grant himself walks yeah, in. As Odin. As Odin. Obviously, he worked most recently with Taika on his last film. Or rather, Taika worked with Sam Neill most recently on his last film, Hunt for the Wilder People. So that whole scene was just so mind-blowing. Just faces mm. showing up, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. But uh, by that stage, we'd already gotten an idea of the added comedy of uh, of this movie. Now, as I spoke about in the uh, in the non-spoilers, this picks up in real time, basically at least two years. The, mm. the, the, in real time, it's been two and a half Which years since we last the, saw Thor. The, the first one for Phase Three, because to I feel like that. we've spoken about it. Obviously, Doctor Strange, very weird time frame. We don't know Still timeline don't. where it takes. When it started or when it finished. Um, Homecoming takes place kind of two months after Civil War, even though it's been over a year in time for us yeah. since then. So, which would place it in 2016 if indeed Civil War was 2016, but at the start it has a super that said it takes place eight years after the Avengers, which we were led to believe was in 2012. Mm. It's it, That that yeah. super alone that said eight years later has just has, has blown minds and people that keep track of this shit, this whole timeline. I didn't want to get into it, but I'm hoping yeah. that Avengers will, everything will start to make sense in the next couple and of months. And then um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 specifically says it takes place in 2014. Six months after the yeah, first one or a couple months after the, months first, after one, the yeah. first one. Yeah. So, so this, this is one, the first one to be sort of real time. Yeah. It's been two years since we've seen Thor yeah. and it's sort of two years later. And immediately he's a changed character. He's spinning around. He's doing all the, making jokes mm. to, uh, to Serta. Well, skeleton first. Well, sure, then. yeah. And because um, I thought, oh, is he going to narrate this movie? Is he talking yeah. to the audience? He... I'm ready for a different 
different movie. I just He's don't gone know. Quite mad. I don't want him narrating it to me. This is not where I want this to go. And then it's mm. a skeleton. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is just funny. You know, if he's, he's having fun. You don't want him to carry Bradshaw and just, you oh, know, be God. monologuing to the, you know, <laughs> no, that down the be, lens. Yeah, out of a window writing a journal. Um, <laughs> so in that first scene, we, we get how different this is going to be tonally as far as the mm. added injection of, uh, of comedy. And I went in a little bit worried into this movie, to be honest. Like, I was never fully grabbed by the trailers. I I liked the trailers. I liked the uh, the use of the brilliant music that we've been playing with in our non A little bit of Immigrant yeah. Song from Led Zeppelin. Uh, a wonderful sort of 80s riff in the second trailer as well. And... Um, I just, I just didn't ever get properly grabbed by the I trailers. Did, I did on the first trailer and then most of the second trailer, but in the last probably two weeks, because, you know, uh, Tyker and Chris and, and Mark have all been on the press bandwagon and mm. then doing press, I've been trying to avoid as much of it as I could, but I was still seeing a lot of it. Yeah. And Kate Blanchett was on Ellen. And so I thought, I don't watch Ellen, but I want to see Kate Blanchett. Mm. So I checked check that out. And of course, there's a little bit in there. So I'm suddenly seeing 30 seconds of the movie here, 30 seconds of the movie here. And all out of context, I'm going, oh, that, that <laughs> how do we get from there to there? But then seeing the movie as a whole, I'm like, oh, okay. Now yeah. I get it. I get it now. But yeah, out of context, I think it can be very, very jarring and very, very odd. Yeah, it's just it's it's way out there. Like it, I would almost mm. encourage people to have a crack at this film. Like it's it's really weird for me because it's like oh, there's a Chris Hemsworth movie coming out. Suddenly, all the girls that I know remember that they're into superhero yeah. films. Really? Are you okay? Sure, come along. Get into the franchise, or at least give this franchise a go through Chris Hemsworth shirtless, you know? And not to borrow a term that I used in the non-spoilers that I'd borrowed from someone else at our screening tonight, <laughs> but like Taika Waititi's fingerprint all over this film and every scene has got some some comic injection in there to the point where I actually stopped watching clips because I saw some clips shared around online or on Instagram and things and they would start off very serious. There was that serious moment in the in the in the elevator essentially with uh, Thor and Loki, you know, saying, "Hey, yeah. look, maybe there's some good left in you," you know. And I stopped watching it because I didn't want to see how that scene ended in a joke. I'm like, I don't need to watch that because that's... I, I went into this movie really worried that I was not going to like it. It was going to be because of the very reason why I love Taika Waititi. It was going to be too much comedy. And, you know, that's why you bring someone like him in. Like, the, these movies, as far as an action film, take care of themselves. They've got other people yeah. that can choreograph fights. He's not brought in to, to design fights or anything like that, you know. He's, he's brought in that the story is structured in, in, in the writing. He's there able to tweak it how he wants and, and, you know, focus on certain characters and all that. But it's like, well, these movies are made with a lighter touch, so what's your style like? You know, even the Russo brothers, when they were brought onto Captain America, the Winter Soldier, they'd done a lot of comedy TV. Everyone's like, why would you bring them onto mm. a Captain America film? Never now, that, that for me is one of the more serious, if not the most serious and grounded MCU film. There, like It's like that in oh, the first yeah. Iron Man. Hard, like political. Yeah. But they nailed it. But the, the comic moments in that movie, which are few and far between, they kill it because totally they, they, they they know timing, right? And the same with, with Civil War, where I you know felt like there were too much, especially in that airport scene. The actual moments themselves were very funny. Mm. So Taika brought into this, and it's like, well, let's just change up the tone. You know, let's reinvent this movie. Mm. This franchise is three movies in. You know, let's just spice things up a bit. And so Thor, in particular, is very sort of stoic and presentational yeah. and obtuse in its language mm. so yeah i think you know you do have to sort of refresh a little bit and bring it up to speed with where the mcu is going yeah and, and he can get away with that too because he is a god because he is 
otherwise immortal and, and you know unbreakable, he would have a little bit of cockiness about mm. him that he can start taking the piss out of everything around yeah. him. But very clever in that I felt this movie, because of what it does, I felt more stakes in this mm. in terms of lasting repercussions to the overall MCU, more so than films like Guardians 2, Doctor Strange, and even Homecoming to a degree. Mm. Even though Thor is kind of the most invulnerable of all those characters, I kind of was worried about him more. Yeah. Granted, I guess I've I've been invested in Thor for longer than I have in, you know, brand new Doctor Strange, only the second film for Guardians and all Mm. that sort of stuff. So, but I found that a really nice balance of, yeah, his his flippantness worked, Mm. but it didn't cancel out the, oh shit, what's going to happen? Yeah. Moments. Right. And writing that sort of line is very, very, you know, hard to do. So I think it's amazing the, the, the tonal sort of way they were able to sort of skim that. Yeah, because we've seen him use the hammer a, a dozen times in a dozen different ways in four movies prior to this, but that opening scene where he's fighting, you know, Surtur and, and, and his horde of minions, may as well have been orcs halfway through the Fellowship of the Ring, <laughs> and he's just doing that, like, that 100-mile-an-hour spin, just just clocking yeah. them all over the place and then using it to fly quickly and just throwing it and catching it back, doing a loop around in that really cool shot where you were following the, the hammer do a big yeah, 360 it's like, it's like around a GoPro him. was attached to, to Beyond Yeah, now, it was really cool. Else, yeah. So we're watching him use the hammer to every Lock advantage. Lock fire. Lightning, was... all kinds of shit. Yeah, the, mm. the, the fire thing I forgot all about. Cut 10 minutes later and you've got Hela showing up. We've known her for 18 seconds. She catches Mjolnir and destroys it. Yeah. And even though we'd seen that in the trailers, that was a real what the moment because Mm. we're looking at shards of the most unbreakable thing in the universe as far as we know this thing that cannot be held by more than one person you know and 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 cannot be broken and she destroyed it like it was nothing like glass as as loki says like he says later on yeah so yeah there there were moments too where i found that i wasn't worried that he's going to die by the end of the movie because i know he's an avenger so you know whatever but Mm. I was still worried about what his limits were now that he doesn't have this great weapon. Well, let's let's talk about that in terms of his vulnerability is, obviously we're in spoilers, he loses an eye at the end of this yeah. film. Now, when that happened, I'm like, oh, it's Loki, it's a, it's a glamour, it's fine. No. Yeah, because we saw that number two, right? Like he chopped off his yeah, hand or some hand. shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was part of Loki's. And then, no, that wasn't it. What's going to happen next? Oh, okay, someone will be able to fix it. Something will happen Odin will show up and save the day. Something's going to happen <laughs> yeah. and he's going to get his eye back because we we saw in the trailer him with his, you know, lightning, double, big blue lightning eyes landing on the um, uh, on the rainbow bridge mm. and that moment happens and it's different to the trailer mm. and he's got this big bloodied up eye and the movie keeps going. There's no magical potion. Nothing's going to happen. So, and at the end of the film, he's got an eye patch and mm. he's lost an eye. Yeah. He was never going to die. We knew that. Um, they're not going to try and pull a Batman v Superman on us and trick us into a funeral scene. Um, but yeah, that losing an eye is a big deal. Mm. And and no hammer by the end of it. Like yeah, I've, I, no hammer, no Odin, no Asgard. Um, like as much as I didn't overall enjoy Iron Man three, especially the first time I watched it, and I've hardly gone back. Mm. But the fact that that movie ends with him going through this radical new surgery that, you know, with a brilliant surgeon Destroying having the arc, arc reactor removed, you know, from his chest and having the shards of uh, of metal and, and whatever the explosive device was taken away from his heart. And, and in his own narrative, 
says to the audience, I don't need my suits to be Iron Man. I don't need this. This doesn't define me. So I can be Iron Man without being Iron Man sort of thing. I'm like, that's, that's great as a personal arc. If, if, if this was the end of your arc entirely for the yeah. franchise, great. But you're still going to be Iron Man. So not really. And then with Thor as well, I'm like, obviously that he had to learn through having some kind of weird connection, whether it be a subconscious, you know, realization or not with Odin, that he doesn't need the, the, the hammer. The hammer is not his power. The hammer channels his power and, mm. and, 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 and makes him able to, to focus it, which was cool because then he is able to do a lot more and Christ, didn't he do a lot? Yeah. Like he's doing flips and he's throwing lightning at people and things like that, which was great. But at the same time, He's Thor, man. Like, what is it? Thor's hammer. You know, what's yeah. Iron Man? Well, Iron Man's got the well, thing in and, his chest. And the you know? whole premise of the first film is his hammer is taken away from him and he loses all his all his power. Yeah. So it is a bit of a... But then I guess you've got to assume that Odin kind of... Stripped that from stripped him in the first. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like, no, you've always had this. You just didn't realize yeah, it was just a way to until now. It. And it's a bit like he's, he's stuck in the light side and Hela... He's gone full dark side. What's dark side? Well, they don't put limitations on themselves. So she's able to, she's realized her full power. Infinite daggers. Yeah. Infinite daggers. Yeah. That got me by surprise, right? Like when she's first taking down the entire army of Asgard and I'm like, oh man, where's she pulling it? Okay. Cause she threw out about six or seven. I'm like, great. Then yeah. she's fighting them with her fists and she's kicking them and doing yeah, flips. And one big sword. And I'm like, okay, that's her yeah. main weapon. And then she steals weapons off the fallen soldiers to kill others. And then she just keeps firing stuff out. And then throughout the whole film, she's just rising spikes yeah, up you giant know? ones building sized ones yeah and, some yeah. okay well i don't know again her origins from the comics so maybe I've, that's i've never maybe seen that yeah. typically she's you know she's she's death and that's what a lot of people were um theorizing that she would take the place of death mm. in the mcu in terms of thanos's crush on death like he's in love with death yeah, and in yeah, the mcu yeah. well in the in the comics death is a, a physical person yeah so which would people, make sense for it to be her like if they just wanted to you know, do yeah. away with death and just make it hella, then yeah. that works. Yeah, Thanos was, you know, wanting all the Infinity Stones to free her from wherever Odin was um, was keeping her. But from the looks of it, she was kind of destroyed. So we didn't even get anything in a, in a post-credits or... Yeah. Even, and... At least with Loki at the end of the first Thor film, he kind of just fell off the Bifrost and it was kind of left fairly ambiguous and then was there something in the in the post credits with Loki there no th there was that scene at the end of the credits with uh, Dr. Selvig and he goes down and meets Nick Fury that's right and, and Loki's in the reflection they find that well Nick Fury opens up and has the Tesseract yeah and he says oh will you help us basically repair it and understand it and Loki is in the reflection and repeats he or Selvig repeats what Loki says so you're like is he under yeah. his influence or or whatever so you got the idea that he did survive yeah so we didn't get that with Hela you know what that so... would have been interesting actually because he did disappear like off the edge wherever that water goes when yeah. it falls off the edge of Asgard in this we see them come up from I wish they didn't call it the devil's anus I was so done with that joke as soon as they said it I just couldn't I'm like yeah we get it you're saying anus that's yeah, yeah. good but when they went through that portal and then popped out the end of it now, they were basically saying that can lead you to anywhere. It didn't just lead from one place to another. I figured you'd have to sort of navigate your way through or jump around, but they seemed to leave Sakaar and go straight to Asgard. I, I missed the early lines where they said basically it's just like it's a, it's a poo planet, you know? It's a rubbish planet. Like, they're yeah. just collecting all the crap that's, what, floating around? I don't know. But, like, if Loki, you know, said in Avengers he had seen worlds and been places that Thor couldn't imagine after falling away from Asgard and then reappearing yeah. on Earth, you know, to, uh, to to take over in Avengers. 
It would have been a nice touch in a way to find out that he has had this previous relationship with the Grandmaster. Yeah. That that's where he ended up. Condi's way through, left, went to a number of other different places that then we don't have to find out about that lead him to maybe meeting Thanos and, and, and you know, getting the uh, the instruction to get the Tesseract and, and all that gear. Because for me, even time relativity and all that sort of stuff just didn't really add up for me when they were both going through the Bifrost and Hela's chasing them, Hela throws them both out of the Bifrost mm. at different times. So if you really wanted to get, you know, sweaty about it, you could say that they ended up in different ends of the universe or different times or whatever, but they're both traveling through. Loki gets thrown at first, then Thor. They both managed to end up on the same planet. Thor's there as a prisoner to the Grandmaster. Loki comes up and goes, I've been here for weeks. I've managed to, you know, I've set up a rapport. And I'm, mm. But then back on Asgard, Hela has very much just gotten to Asgard. Yeah. As very as as much as Thor has just gotten to Sakaar. Anyway, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. It just mm. sort of, it for me, if that truly was the one way in, one way out with the, um, yeah. with the, with the Devil's Anus thing, that he went from Asgard, fell into that, traveled down to Sakaar, established a relationship with the Grandmaster. Yeah. Again, it's not a big, yeah, big he could, thing. He could have already it. had that. And yeah. I think there are... This movie definitely isn't perfect. There are some some definite gaps in the writing and that sort of stuff where I was a bit, oh, that could have been done better, that could have been done And yeah, I think that was one of those moments where they were kind of written into a corner with Loki having you know done away with Odin and impersonating him on Asgard. Mm. So we had no choice but to find Loki at the start of this film on Asgard impersonating Odin. Like, yeah. There was nowhere else he could possibly be. Mm. So then we had to find a way to have him and Thor have a confrontation with Hela and then him get to Sakaar first and have a relationship. But I think you're right. It would have been better if they'd had a relationship previously from the last time Loki was kicked off Asgard. And so he was treated great and Thor was treated like crap. That would have been really, really interesting because Thor has always been the favoured child. Mm. So I feel like it would have been a nice way to give Loki a bit of something in terms of Sakaar might be the one planet where Loki is seen as the hero and yeah. Thor isn't. Yeah. That would have been a nice little dichotomy there, you know, just to give us, give a bit of meat. I'd like to talk to someone who hasn't seen the other films about what they thought, because I had read stuff from Taika who said that for him, this is the first Thor movie. That's how they approached it. And other people that have had watched in the States prior to our screening tonight that I listened to and, and read their reviews and things. And they said it's not at all a sequel to the other two Thor films. If Marvel are not going to do a trilogy box set of Thor films because while one and two are very similar compared to number three, yeah. this doesn't feel like it belongs in the, in, in, within the same trilogy or, or within the same franchise sort of thing. So, But at the same time, Thor Ragnarok starts with such a cracking pace. You open up, you're on that planet. He has that fight, travels back to Asgard, figures out very quickly, and so he should, that Loki is impersonating Odin. Says, take me to Odin. Okay, sweet. Suddenly they're back on Earth. They meet up with Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange sends them to Norway on the other side of the world. They go there. Odin dies. Hela shows up. They go back to Asgard. Oh, no, on the way to Asgard, they get thrown out of the Bifrost onto Sakaar. She ends up in Asgard. She's fighting. Like, it's just, it shit just keeps happening. Yeah, And, and it was good. They're the but... ones that seem to have given her access to Asgard. I feel like if Loki hadn't called for the Bifrost, yeah. it would have taken her a lot longer to, to find a way to get to Asgard. But yeah, for, just to wrap up what I was saying, like, 
how does someone who hasn't seen the other films react to the, the pace with which this film starts? Because mm. I feel like I there was so much information that you needed to know. Yeah, you need to, to have know. prior knowledge. Yeah. You can't come with this. Like I was saying, you know, Loki's whole sort of opening scene relies on you having seen Dark World, seeing the end yeah. of Dark World and knowing what happened there. And even the first movie, the relationship between Odin, why it matters that he did what he did. and Yeah, and yeah I mean, they can say that it's a... It's not a sequel, but it is. You have to know a lot yeah. to, to be on board this, you know. There's the Tesseract is thrown in there, and that's a very important key through there. So I think, yeah, it's, they can say that, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Now, with what you were just saying before, the fact that she showed up the way that she did it all, well, they didn't explain it, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I just took that as Odin's very presence. Him being alive was what ke- was keeping her... Yeah. locked up or at bay or that something. That was the because, only way that I could take it. Yeah. Is he did say it's his power alone is what is keeping her locked away. Yeah. He dies. She still manages to draw her power from Asgard, but she's doing it from afar because yeah. him being alive has, has, has kept her back. So him dying and she's able to just automatically open up a portal to where she knows he was what, or where she felt it, his presence. Is it her? Is it subconsciously the same way when you go to sleep your brain still knows to keep you breathing. Mm. Has Odin this entire time been carrying around this little pocket dimension that is just connected to him? Yeah. And there's this part of his concentration and power, whatever, is constantly going towards keeping that portal to that dimension closed. Yeah. And with him dying, like it's like him carrying around like a Santa sack. Mm. And then when he dies, he loses his, his grip on that Santa sack and it opens up and she can walk through. Because mm. it's... It could seem to be him no longer existing allowed that portal to open. I don't. There was nothing there that said to me that Hela could open that portal, because otherwise, why did she need the Bifrost to get to Asgard if she can open portals to to other other dimensions and other areas? But she could have just portaled. Yeah. If she if she's got infinite daggers, you know, then if she's if she's got the ability to open portals, I feel like she would have used that. Even like Blink in um, Days of Future Past. Yeah. You know, if she she could be opening up portals and daggering through them and closing up <laughs> portals. So, yeah, I think that was just a matter of, of Odin passing away, which, again, who the hell knew that was coming? I didn't. Odin? Yeah. Yeah, I, I figured, I, I kind of figured it might have. I didn't put a lot of thought into it going into the screening, but I think just having to explain to so many people over the last couple of weeks that I work with that do not follow these movies, they assume that Ragnarok is like a superhero term, and I'm like, mm. well, no, Thor, Norse mythology, mythology, Ragnarok is a term for basically apocalypse. the apocalypse, God's dying, Asgard getting destroyed. So I'm like, well, I guess people will die. Obviously mm. didn't think Thor or Loki. The Warriors 3. That, don't yeah. kill those, but hey, hey, you know what, credit to them for coming back for no no time at all. Yeah. It's one thing for a character to come back, but for the actual actors to come back for something so minimal. Like, that was definitely Ray Stevenson. Uh, I'm just looking it up here. It was definitely Zachary Levi as as Fandral. Those two Fandral, were, that's it. Yeah, those yeah. those two were in the Bifrost room, the rain, you know, with the bloody sword. He was manning the sword, Ray Stevenson. And Hella pops up and just sends daggers into both of them. And then in the fight with the uh, entire Asgard army, you had Hogan there, who got very minimal screen time in uh, in Thor The Dark World, mm. and he was the last man standing, and she sent a giant spear into uh, into him. He's seemingly dead. No Sif. Sif's nowhere to be found. At that stage, Heimdall was nowhere to be found, but we see him sneaking around. Mm. I started to think maybe Sif was with him. Now, as you spoke about before, Sif, Jamie Alexander's probably busy shooting Blindspot. Uh, Blindspot, that's it. Yeah, it was just a, a scheduling issue. Probably the couldn't. best thing that could have happened to her for her future in the MCU because she might have mm. died in this. 
And a lot I of people think... expected the fact they were going to write out Jane Foster. They were going to allow that Sif Thor romance thing to happen. Now, mm. a romance in the movie we saw tonight would have been completely misplaced. There well, was no room for it. There was a moment between Thor and uh, Valkyrie, though, that I was like, Ever so Well, they just sort of, they sort of a- accidentally ran into each other, but I mm. almost expected her to sort of go, you're not my type, because it came out in, I don't know whether it's an interview with Tessa Thompson, who plays her. Uh, on her Twitter. Like, oh, on her was it really? Yeah. She was like, because uh, someone was... I don't know, paying out the character going, oh, geez, well, Valkyries are all women. Yeah, I bet she's into the, you know, bit of Amazon action. And she's like, you know, she's bi, not that it matters. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, and that was, I don't know whether it was written, but that's obviously the way Tessa Thompson has... Wanted to play it. Played yeah. it. But if that's the way she played it, then that's kind of cool. And so mm. when I saw that moment, yeah, where they both jumped back into the Commodore, excellently named Taika yeah. Waititi, thank you. And they almost ran into each other. And I'm like, oh, there's a moment that if they were trying to build up a romance, that's where you go, oh. The catalyst. Yeah. Now you talk about the ladies. There was uh, a story, at least a quote that went out in the last couple of weeks, and someone said, "Oh, well, yeah, the the Jane Foster that'll be that'll be uh, that'll be referenced, that'll be talked about, that'll be explained in Thor Ragnarok, why she's uh, not around anymore." Mm. It wasn't. No, uh, they're on the street. There's two random chicks in New York. Come Ultron. up to Thor and say, hey, can we get a selfie? You're a superhero. Yep, selfie. It's like, oh, it sucks. Jane dumped you. And he's like, yeah, she Mu- didn't. Like, he's dumping. like, oh, it sounds like she dumped you. Oh, no, it was mutual. It's like, that's that's weird because that's it. Like, mm. again, if we are going to pretend like we care and follow their relationship, we last saw him give up the throne in 2013, Thor, the Dark World, come to Earth, they embrace, end of the film. Two years later, Age of Ultron. She's off doing some other stuff, very important mm. work. Two years later, this film, it's like, yeah, we broke up. He just left Earth. Now, okay, yeah, he left Earth, and it's like, oh, I'll come back for her later, and he never did, so he just assumes that she... Like, it was referencing it, it was explaining it, but it really wasn't. Like, yeah. again, they don't need to. They can just probably move on from it, but at the same time, it was such a driving force to him in the first two films. Yeah, like, it's the whole, love it. the whole reason he kind of fell in love with Midgard yeah, was because of her. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, decided that was going to be his sort of, you know, his the place he was going to protect. So mm. it's like, it is kind of like, oh, it kind of feels like we've just wasted our time with the whole Jane Foster mm. sort of storyline. So it's like, oh, well, if you recast Fandral, why don't you just recast Jane Foster? Or, yeah. You know, give us give us something, especially given that in the comics, she is the new Thor. Yeah. You know, she's she wills Mjolnir. So and like, like with Idris Elba, if they're going to want to hold on to him, regardless of what happens to the character, they want to hold on to that actor because of the caliber of actor that he is. Natalie Portman is an amazing actor as well. She's an Oscar-winning yeah. actress. Like I know she's had her own problems with uh, with with being in the franchise and what they've done with her character. Hell, Patty Jenkins, who just so fantastically directed Wonder Woman, was signed on to be the director of Thor: The Dark World. That's right. They had creative differences, and whatever she was going to do with the movie, she left. Natalie Portman was really upset with that because she really wanted to work with Patty Jenkins. So mm. they've had their issues with it. So who knows? you know, what's going to happen with Jane Foster. It, it would suck to see her recast because we have seen her twice, you know, shown in, in a third film yeah. uh, as as the face of Natalie Portman. But um, whether or not they'll ever go down the path of making yeah. Thor a female, I, I don't just, know. I'd just love to see her not be the damsel in distress because Natalie yeah. Portman can hold her so much better than anyone, that. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Just on the Valkyries, actually, to wrap that up, like that scene, that Valkyries v. Hela scene, that wide shot side on where you see the Valkyries coming out of the uh, sky in slow-mo. That was a fucking painting. It is like, one of the um, most beautiful things I've ever seen in my what life. What do you call it? The, you know, the, the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel, whatever it was. It's like That's exactly that, what it know, looked like. Oh my God. God, it was glorious. Now, 
let's get to the elephant in the room. When I say elephant, mm-hmm. I mean big guy. Let's talk the Hulk because someone else we haven't seen in a long time is the Hulk. Age of Ultron. He realizes the damage that he's caused, the pain that he's inflicted on people, namely Black Widow, who he's kind of got a thing for. As the Hulk, who's a little bit more sentient about things now, he's a little bit more aware, jumps in the Quinjet and takes off. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's on this alien planet. Was now, it ever established that Quinjets can survive space? Was space-bound? Space? No, it wasn't. Now, yeah. they didn't say how I know he... in, in comics and uh, cartoons and stuff like that, Tony Stark does have jets that are capable of, yes. of hitting space, but... They've never said that in this franchise. One line now, in the MCU is all you need to yeah, establish exactly. that, and we're fine. We're one to assume that they could, but not to the distances of Sakaar, right? So when they go back into the Quinjet and he goes, you know, Captain's Log, once uh, once Bruce Banner comes back and he checks out the, uh, the ship's log... And you still don't really see what happened. That's when I expected mm. to see something happen and he reveal got that. Sucked into one of those weird wormhole things, or yeah, um, which would have been mighty convenient, you know, Valkyrie just when he decides him, to leave. Or... But um, that was that was cool that he has been on Scar as the Hulk for two years. He's been in a permanent state of rage for two years, and the Hulk, like a child, has mentally developed. He still mm. speaks like a child, and he still reacts very quickly and uh, and off the cuff as a child. But he has learnt a little bit, so he is able to speak. And that's completely different as well. Now, that also gets thrown into the comedic tone of this film. With a talking Hulk who behaves and acts and talks like a three-year-old, you can have fun with that. Especially with someone who was so serious and now is taking the piss like Thor, but he's also in a dramatic situation, so he's trying to be serious again. Then you got the Hulk, throw them in. And for the most part, again, it was funny. Then there was a scene where they're just throwing things at each other, just yelling at each other. Yeah. You're bad. No, you're bad. You're angry. No, I'm angry. You know, it was a, you know, again, just maybe one step too far. I but loved... we're exploring stuff that we've never been able to before as well. Well, and then beautiful callbacks in terms that the thing that I really wasn't expecting in the big arena battle was Thor pulling the sun's getting dark. Sun's going down. That was a nice touch. And I was like, oh, that's such a nice callback (laughs) because that was a great moment in um, Age of Ultron. And it's like, oh, so this is how Thor wins the battle. And then right at the last minute when you think it's working, nah, it doesn't work. And Thor gets, you know, his ass handed to him. So that was a really uh, clever moment there in the way they they honoured what's come before, but then put a little fresh sort of fun spin on it. Mm. The thing I wasn't crash hot about is... 10 seconds of visual of Scarlett Johansson and suddenly Hulk is Bruce Banner. Yeah. I was like, oh, they kind of wedged that sort of romance thing in very, very last minute to Age of Ultron. Mm. And I'd kind of like, oh, thank God we don't have to deal with that now that sort of Hulk's gone. And for that to be the thing that sort of brings him back and then for Bruce not to mention it at all from that point, I was like, Oh. I didn't mind that he didn't mention it because it's almost like Bruce doesn't seem that type of guy that would, especially with Thor, especially in that situation. Like he's more worried about the fact that he's on this alien planet and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. For me, for him then to go, oh, so yeah, let me tell you about me. Or, you know, try and explain that away. I, I don't know whether that would have been like, really, you're having this conversation now? Um, I actually didn't mind that because that's what I've always, I've made fun at Hulk for this reason. You know, it goes back to when I was really first introduced to the character with the uh, Ang Lee, Eric Banner Hulk, is that 
He's this giant, impenetrable, unstoppable force of nature. But then he sees his girlfriend. He just mm, you yeah. know, sinks back into this emotional mess. So he has always been weak for the woman that he loves. So I didn't mind that the first glimpse that he's had of that person, especially Hulk. Hulk doesn't have any real connection to her. It's all, it's all Banner. And that opens up that door for Banner to reach back in. And like he said, grab control of the wheel and bring mm. himself back out. I guess it was just hard for me to go if if he'd been changing back and forward between Banner and Hulk, I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But the fact that Banner hasn't been seen in two years mm. and Hulk's been, you know, behind the wheel, to then have, yeah, like ten seconds of, I mean, Scarlett Johansson, I mean, fair enough, <laughs> but just ten seconds of that of that widow video from Ultron, I go. No, so for me, it actually it's better that he hasn't changed and that that's what changed him back, because yeah, I just wanted a resolution to it. I just yeah. wanted it would have been hard because. I did love the Anthony Hopkins dramatic stuff. Mm. Those couple of scenes that he had, I was like goosebumpy and like, oh God. So maybe I'm thinking, I'm trying to apply the new Ragnarok rules to these existing characters. It's mm. like, I would have liked just a moment for that. Cause it's, it's like, well, Banner was developing a relationship with Widow. Hulk wasn't. Mm. But then when we see him flying off at the end of, uh, Ultron, mm. it's like, well, Hulk is aware of what's going on. Like Banner is kind of seeping through into Hulk and he's aware. So it's, yeah, it was just this weird, I would just would have like one little payoff moment where Banner mentions something about it once he's back as Banner. Yeah, like, fair enough. kind of just straight back into the, the shticky, what's been going on? Yeah. And while you Which get it. fun, but yeah. it just didn't honor the characters in, in the way that I would have liked. And while you while you want to get it from this movie, you don't want to go, oh well we'll get it in another film. I read some quotes from Mark Ruffalo and and and, and Kevin Feige as well and they were both talking about the same day where they had this meeting where Feige came up to him and said, if we ever had a Hulk solo film, what do you think it would be? And they can't do a that failure. because you know, Universal <laughs> still hold the distribution rights to a solo Hulk film. But Mark oh. Ruffalo basically, again, according to Kevin Feige, broke down where he would like to see the Hulk go in a solo film. And Kevin Feige said, great, let's do that in these three movies. So basically in Thor Ragnarok, you see the start of that. Mm. In Avengers Infinity War, you'll see the next stage. And then you'll wrap it up in Avengers 4, whatever that is. Yeah. Now, It's just hard, I think. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. I don't know if it was for, for this or the, or the um, non-spoilers chat, but we're moving at such a fast pace now in terms of all these films. And it's, you know, it's years between seeing certain characters. So it's been sort of two years since we've seen Black Widow and Hulk sort of have any interaction. Mm. It's like, if we don't honor the moment now, I feel like it's too late in a year's time when Infinity War comes around and there's too, there'll be too much going on there mm. to be able to spend the amount of time that's needed to, you know, acknowledge what they were trying to do. So mm. it's like, the moment's passed. We've missed the opportunity to sort of either resolve that and Hulk say, no, he's, he's done with um, Black Widow. Well, I guess in saying that... Or is he still... Bruce Banner hasn't... Bruce Banner hasn't sat through it for two years. As far as he knew, he'd just been Hulk. Like, he was still mm. asking about what happened with Hulk. Like, he, he all but said, did we stop Ultron? Because yeah. he figured it was later that day. So, he doesn't need to, I guess, talk about how his feelings for Black Widow have developed or gone away or anything like that because for him it's the same as it was the day before but then what 
from a motivational point for Hulk, then how was Hulk able to make the decision to get into the Quinjet and fly it away and stay in control of that body for two years? Like what, what was the, Oh, again, that's, yeah, yeah, so no, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. That's where I'm just like, oh, we needed something there. We mm. needed a little something there just to acknowledge what's happening there on an emotional level. Yeah. And I feel like if it was a Joss film, they probably would have done that because he's very much more character based mm. where Tyker is, is goes more for the, you know, the jokes and the, and the dry wit and all that sort of stuff. So I think I'm trying to apply Joss rules to a Tyker film and it's, you know, potentially it would have just stood out like a sore thumb, like it didn't belong, you know? So I understand why it's not there given the whole tone of the film, but to honor these characters as a whole, I think I would have liked something there given that yeah. the Sir Anthony Hopkins scenes was so heightened, dramatic, heart wrenching kind of moments. I was like, Oh, I kind of wanted a bit more. I was like, no, that can't be it. Give me, give me at least another minute of that. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> just, just another minute is all I need. But he just sort of says his last line. I'll look at that, and it's he's gone. sparkle dust. Yeah. I'm like, oh, just give him a moment. Give him, give him a moment. A hand on the shoulder, something. Mm. But it's not who he was, though. Like it's, it's kind of cool yeah. they do that way, isn't it? Like that's not who he was. He at the same time he didn't. And I guess too, he didn't hold any grudges against Loki. Like Loki's there in his dying Still moments. His he's son. like, you know what? Yeah. You're my kid. You're messed up. You have done some horrible things to even me alone, let alone yeah. anyone else. Like um, like Thor says, in the last two days. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great line too. Maybe I was just emotional because prior to the film, we got to see the Star Wars Last Jedi trailer yep. on the big screen. And every time I see that close-up shot, of Leia, I just go, oh God, I can't handle whatever's going to happen in that movie. I'm going to, lo- I'm going to lose it. So maybe I was just a little bit emotionally raw from that still, and that's why I wanted. I went in there wanting a cry. Yeah. Just <laughs> what I do like about the Hulk stuff, just to wrap that up too, is that it's different the way that I guess Bruce Banner handles the Hulk in every film. Like in the Incredible Hulk, it was he's uncontrollable, and then at the end, mm. it was like. Look, I can't control him, but maybe I can just aim him in the right direction is the word that Edward Norton used. I can aim it. You know, I can't control it, but I can aim it. So it was like, I'm angry. Throw me against that other thing that's going to keep making me angry. And then my beast, the Hulk, will just want to beat him. And then we save the day. Come Avengers, he's like, I'm always angry. So it's like, I can turn it on. If I I choose to turn it on, I can turn it on. If it happens like it did earlier in the helicarrier... Things can bring it on without his control, but if he chooses, he can do it. Yeah. Come Avengers 2, there were tricks to stop it, like the hand gesture, the sun's going down. There were things they could do to calm him back down into Bruce Banner. And then this, it's that Hulk is developing mentally. And what does that mean for Bruce mm. Banner when he's taken over for that long? Bruce Banner has lost two years of his life, but he does, he's not even really aware of it. So, and we didn't get a resolution to it either, as as viewers. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, it's, we didn't it's, get an answer. It's kind of nice that we are going to keep exploring this throughout different films, and mm. maybe all together we're we're watching one complete film of the Hulk. But yeah, maybe it's one of those things that we'll only get it in retrospect. Yeah, once we've seen everything and then look back, we go, oh, yeah, for sure. Know, maybe it's one of those. Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, we, d- we don't get instant gratification that we're used to, um, you know, in mm. this modern day and age. <laughs> now, a lot of people, to veer into another franchise for just one second as a reference, with Star Wars last year, Rogue One was just there to explain away the small, albeit major, plot hole of uh, A New Hope was that there was this gaping 
access point to destroy the Death Star. Mm-hmm. So they write Rogue One around it. You know, it was all it was all part of the plan of the guy who invented it. Blah blah blah. There is a moment that kind of does away with a plot hole of the first Thor, arguably up until this point. Yeah, what's been going on, going. right? I know where you're going. <laughs> Hela walks into the uh, into the treasure chamber and is like, look at all this crap everywhere that he's got, and, you know, sees the Infinity Gauntlet, which you get a, a, a brief glimpse of in the first oh, like Thor movie. Two frames. Two frames. It's only there. And at, at, at the time, at the time, only if you were a Marvel Comics reader would you know what that thing was. Blurry in the back corner Absolutely. for two frames. It's like, is there something glistening there with that gems? Boom, it's done. Then obviously at the end of Age of Ultron, we see Thanos go into something somewhere and he puts the glove on and says, if you want something done, you've got to do it yourself. Now, if you're a new watcher of this franchise, as you're coming to learn, this bad guy Thanos is trying to track down these Infinity Stones or Infinity Gems, whatever they're calling them, and they've got to fit the glove. Now... We watch him put this glove on, but earlier in the franchise, we see that glove sitting in the treasure chamber. It's like, well, hang on. How did he get that out of the chamber? Yeah. Then close. Fan theorists were going, oh, one's a left glove, one's a right glove. Well, the closer you look, I think it was one in Thor, and then it was another when he put Mm. it on in Age of Ultron. And then Hela just walks through, sees it, goes, that's a fake. And I'm like, knocks it off the pedestal. Brilliant. Fans have been arguing about that for years. What does this mean? This is Marvel losing their mind. That's a major plot hole. And she's like, that's fake. The real one's out there. And that's why Thanos is going for the gems, because he's already got the gauntlet. There would be thousands of YouTube clips being taken down off YouTube (laughs) of them with their fan theories about the gauntlet and what it does. And they've spent just months of their life just fighting in the comments about it and making these videos. And in... Three words, Kate Blanche's, it's a fake, bang, knocks yep. it off, sorted. Love it. And the other one, uh, right at the end, where Loki walks into the chamber to grab the uh, Serta head. Tiara, and the, as the they tiara, like to call it. As Thor says, and the Eternal Flame to get it all started. He walks past the Tesseract and just gives it a little look, and it's just like, pauses you know what, stops. I might be able to pay off on that years-long promise I made to Thanos and be able to get that back to him. Mm. Now, obviously, he, well, we, we didn't see him, Obviously, he's taken that because well, Asgard has imploded in on itself. Yeah. That's an infinity stone. The only stone. thing left is the internal flame. Just, just <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the middle of space, that's this flame is burning. So he's got to have taken that. He's holding onto that somehow, mm-hmm. somewhere within that ship. And the other ones are either in Thanos' possession or they're about to be in his possession. Yeah, well, somewhere Vision has one. The Collector has a couple. Yeah. Uh, one is still unknown. Where it is, yes. which is one that I think is in Heimdall, um, and then obviously in our post credits or mid credit sequence, we see a big spaceship show up and stop. You know the generational ship of all the Asgard people yeah. that are on it. Can't tell what it is. Uh, Savage, who was at the um, screening tonight, was theorizing maybe it was going to be um, Skrull, but I don't think MCU has the rights to Skrull. They've got Kree, yeah. but I don't know if they've Skrull's got Skrull Skrull's the bad guys oh, in okay. uh, Captain Marvel. They can. I don't. Th- I think that Marvel can use the scrolls. Fox can use specific scrolls, like character, like key oh, scrolls. Okay. So the scrolls as a whole will be uh, the villains in uh, the Captain Marvel movie. They're eyeing Ben Mendelsohn talking about Rogue One yeah. as the lead scroll. Well, yeah. Well, that's 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 how Ms. Marvel gets her powers. Yeah. It's, it's from um, or is it? No, I think she's Cree actually. But, but yeah, there's the whole Cree scroll sort of war going on, yep. which actually would lead us. That'd be great because it would lead us into post Infinity Wars. Like for the next phase, there could be the Secret Wars, mm. which is when Avengers are replaced by Scroll because Scroll are shapeshifters That's and right, they can yep. take powers. So and 
going tying in with Captain Marvel, I think that'd be a great little sort of through line. My bet is I think that ship would probably be either Thanos or the Collector. Mm. And they're they're tracking Infinity Stones, and that's the whole reason they've you know they've tracked that ship mm. because I think that would then be a great kicking off point for Infinity Wars. They're tracking the Guardians can come in and save the day or something like that. If it is the Collector or Thanos trying to get that um, that stone from Loki, I think that's maybe that's too easy, and that's that's the simple way of looking at it. Mm. That that's but to me that's what makes them the most sense. Yeah, I think so. As I well. think it makes more sense than. Doctor Strange being in this movie at all. <laughs> yeah, I, in saying that, I did I did like that. I found myself, as soon as that scene started, I was like, this is what these movies could become. Like, if, again, contracts and payments and all that sort of thing were easier to agree upon, that random characters could just pop up for, like, two seconds, you know? You mm. could be in a Captain America movie and literally Iron Man fly, like just flies past or yeah. or pops in and Tony has, like, a, a literally a 30-second conversation with him and then flies back out again because that's what they can do in the comics. All they're doing is just drawing shapes, right, and, and writing yeah. lines, whereas in this we're dealing with, like, you know, million-dollar paychecks and things like that. But the fact that he goes to New York and Doctor Strange... Deals away with Loki because he's a threat to the world. Talks to Thor, and he was in it for two or three minutes, which they obviously shot, you know, when Doctor Strange was doing reshoots yeah. and that sort of stuff. So that was really cool. But at the same time, because we'd seen half of that scene as a post-credits um, a bit to to Doctor Strange's actual film, it didn't have. I don't think it had all the oomph that it should have yeah. because we'd already watched half of it. I could have done without it. I again, I haven't been back to Doctor Strange since we saw it at the cinema. Mm. But the the gloves were a bit much for me. I don't know if they were in the film or not, <laughs> yeah. uh, but in this one, a bit too much for me. He's obviously self-conscious about his scars. You know? <laughs> if we're talking little tiny cameos like that, do you know what I would have rathered instead of that entire sort of scene? Howard the Duck. No. Oh, God. <laughs> Loki and Thor in their civvies. <laughs> Loki dressed as a witch, which I thought yeah. was a great line. Uh, and, you know, Thor's mystic umbrella, I thought was great. <laughs> Walking down Bleecker Street or walking down just somewhere in New York, trying to, you know, on their way to find Odin and uh, crossing the street in front of Matt Murdock with his walking stick. Oh, don't even. Stop like it. Stop it. Stop that, it. Don't. That's all I need. That's all That's all I would have needed. That sort of shit would be amazing. Yeah. I'm waiting. That'll never, given, never gonna happen. But given I would that, love that Doctor Strange is one of the founding members of the Defenders. Yes. Yeah. Just... Walk even if they walk past Bleecker Street and Matt Murdock is walking up those stairs of of one seventy seven A Bleecker Street or something like that. Is that the was that the address? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, I would have preferred that to that whole Doctor Strange scene. Yeah, right. With the exception, I suppose, of just the the sound of of Mjolnir just crashing through the um uh the museum area upstairs as he calls for it and just taking yeah. See, it that up. was one of the jokes that I'm like, oh, I could do away well with that. He went on a little bit too long, yeah. but I was like, just a, it's sorry. Or like, whatever he said. Have have that or the part where Thor at the start is knocking over that thing on the table. Have one of those, but not both. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just, just little little tweaks both, like that. Both in their own, funny, but mm. just cut yeah. back a little bit. Together, nah. Because you've already got Thor sort of going, Oh, stop teleporting everywhere and him reacting to the teleport every mm. time. You've already got that gag. Yeah. So you don't need And that him... was fine to carry on because yeah. it's subtle enough in a way. Yeah. It's not like he was going, every time that it happened, he was just reacting as you would to something that you've not experienced before. Yeah. Now, okay, speaking about the man behind the comedy, it's probably a good place to wrap up because I really wanted to give him a uh, a, a good plug in the non-spoilers chat, and we didn't. For me, the MVP of this 
is Taika Waititi starring as Korg, the the rock alien. I'd heard he was going to be in. They said, oh, director Taika Waititi is doing performance capture as this alien rock monster, Korg. And I'm like, okay, cool. One scene. He's in one scene. I'm like, that's hilarious. He kept talking a bit like this. He was a big Kiwi bouncer, as he said on the the project. You know, it was hilarious. I thought that was it. He was in so much more of this movie than I ever, ever would have thought about. I think he had more screen time than Heimdall. I, oh, absolutely. Well, I want to say <laughs> twice as much. But for me, I was laughing at everything that he was saying in that film. And I don't want to just say it's because of the funny accent that he put on. But for <laughs> me, I think that's why our whole cinema really enjoyed it because we're all Aussies in that room. Some mm. of us Kiwis, obviously, I know a Kiwi that was sitting next to me. Everyone was laughing at that because we're all best mates. Aussies, Kiwis, we love it. We yeah. love the accent. We love taking the piss out of each other. I'm wondering how that will sit in an American audience yeah. and people that don't understand the accent so well. It's, it's like it's like for an American audience, if they overdub that with like a really super polite Canadian Mountie voice. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yep. Then that that's the exact... That's I feel like us and... Uh, like Australia and New Zealand is the equivalent of, you mm. know, America and Canada. That's, yep. that's the thing. So... Like in the same way with um, uh, Captain America, they had the, the his little notebook was yeah. different depending on what region. You yeah, sort of and that was a nice film touch. In. Yeah, so, so obviously they won't do this because Tyke is the director, and he's like, "No, I'll keep, keep that voice in there." <laughs> and everyone should learn uh, what the Kiwis sound like. So yeah, bit much for me. Like I think it was probably a, just one or two scenes too many. Yeah, and and I, I don't think, think he belonged with... in the in the climax. No, within and, and I think yeah, even if he was there, that's fine. But within those scenes, and again, it's one joke too many. Mm. Or even the fact that they showed up when they did. You knew how, you had no idea that Loki and co. and that big ship were anywhere near Asgard. And all the Asgardians are, you know, ready to, to fall to these, you know, zombie soldiers of Hellas. I think even Heimdall was there. He's ready to cark it. He's ready yeah. to get stabbed. And then all of a sudden, Korg's there. And he's like, oh, g'day, guys. We're about to go up on, uh, hop onto the ship. Do you want to come with? You want to come with us? And it's like, where did you come from? Like, they've not only like mm. they've flown the ship in cognito, they've jumped off the ship. Then the ship has flown back into the fog so that they can make their grand reveal with Loki going, "I am your savior," and all this. I'm like, that's just a moment of coincidence. I'm like, what? When do they get there? How yeah. do they get there? And of course, they got there at that particular time. And but- just just on that. I think this film may take the cake for the most superfluous post-credit scene since Howard the Duck. Just in terms of the post credit scene was all um, the Grandmaster mm. just sort of collapsed or something in a in a building or a ship or something like that, which we never saw. We in never the saw film. him get in one or anything. Yeah. No, all it is is the cage fighters on Sakaar led a revolution to free themselves. As far as we knew, that was Korg and all his mates getting on the ship. Yeah. And yet, end of the film, Jeff Goblin pops out with his two little chicky babes on the side and he's in the in the junk area going, oh, wow, that revolution was was great. But it's the junkers, not the cage fighters yeah. that are there that are about to... T- so I was like, I don't, I don't get any of that. Mm. I don't... I don't... What, what was... The- I didn't mind the, the Goblinisms of, oh, of Goblin's the scene. Oh, always, always great. Yeah, but, but for you're a right. credit sequence, which, you know, we sit through a fair lot of credits to get to. Yeah, and I would almost like for him to have mentioned his brother, just to explain to the audience... Who's his brother? The Collector. Oh, are they brothers? They're brothers. <gasps> see, that would And so cool. that's why they're both so ridiculously eccentric and over yeah, the top. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And see, Benicio Del Toro, as the Collector... Very eccentric and over the top, like I said, but 
at, in a very serious way at the same mm. time. Whereas Goldblum's been on this planet for however long, and now he's ruling this planet. Like he's yeah. just doing things to appease people, and he's God, and women are wanting to have sex with him, and all kinds of shit. So that's yeah. why he is a little bit more. Uh, They're like their own version of Thor and Loki. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a great meme going around, and it's got it compares the Marvel universe to the DC universe, and it's remember the old um Disney Hercules movie. Yeah. And it's um Hades and Zeus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Zeus is uh Marvel and yeah. Hades and looking all fun and like got his brother in a headlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then DC's just like Hades just <laughs> Alright, that'll do us for our full spoilers chat of Thor. Maddie, there's gonna be a thousand things we think about talking about on the way home from this chat, but uh, at the moment I think we do need to wrap it up. Yeah. We've went long. And enough. well done to you if you've listened all this way with just us two Muppets. Like normally if there's <laughs> there's three or four of us here, it's a little more light and, and fun and quippy, but uh well done if you managed to get through this. Yeah, so do write into us uh, other things that you picked up that we didn't, other mm. things that we might have but we failed to mention, and uh, just write in your thoughts. Agree, disagree, get into geek at gmail.com or find us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just simply search Get Into Geek. Uh, we will be back in uh, definitely a few weeks' time uh, as far as our movie chats go. I think our next big screening, Maddie, uh, one that's got us all Uh-oh. excited it's yet not, nervous is, is, uh, is Justice League. I think on the 15th of November is our screening. It does come out on the 16th of November. In the meantime... Can uh, I preface it by saying I love Jason Momoa? Yes. Pre-Justice League. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to say that post-Justice League. Oh, we've got to record now. We'll play it back to you in a couple of weeks. I want to just establish a blanket love for Momoa. Yep. Just, I, need, I need to... Just cover bases before we go into this film because I'm 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 worried. In the meantime, other things are uh, DC with the uh, TV shows. Uh, myself, Ben, and Terry talking DC TV. You can check out our weekly podcasts. And then back on the uh, Marvel train. Also, though, November 17, the opening weekend of Justice League. Netflix also debuting The Punisher. My Christ, get in my eyes and ears right now. I cannot wait to see that show. I'm going to binge the shit out of it. I, I know this, I say that with every series, but I think this might be the first I one I actually do it I think this might be the, the first one that you actually start watching it the day it releases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Normally you're weeks, sometimes months behind. Just John Bernthal just mowing down yeah. as many arseholes as like you can find. John Bernthal is to you what Chris Evans is to me, I feel like. like if, if you, were you gonna, know what? I would if say If the no, offer came up, you'd be... But it does feel a little bit like this. I feel like it's perfect casting. Call me crazy. <laughs> I feel like it's perfect casting. So it's amazing. Can't wait for that. And also under the Get Into Geek umbrella is Get Into Gate. Maddie, myself, Brendan Reese, who are missing tonight, have a, a separate specialized show for Stargate SG-1. Bit of a retrospective sort of look back on the show. Reese though, is watching it all for the first time. So a bit of a mixed review on uh, each and every episode. We do one per week. So uh, look us up on the podcast channel, SoundCloud, and iTunes, you can find us. Search Get Into Gate, a Stargate podcast. And you can uh, search the same on all the social medias and get into touch with us there as well. Myself, Mitch underscore Lewis on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up, talking about movies and TV. I love all that shit. Maddie, what do you got? At High Pitch Maddie on Instagram. Hit us both up. Talk to us about movies. Talk to us about Thor Ragnarok. It is in cinemas right now. Wrap it around your eyes, the glorious Addies, and you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it once more. Can I do it once more? A little bit of Zeppelin. Can well, I do I'm it? I'm not going to begrudge you that. I mean, Good. Come on. Don't begrudge this. This is awesome. Get into geek.com.